Major support for Out to Lunch is provided by the law firm of Jones Walker, established in 1937 with over 375 attorneys in offices throughout the U.S., providing a comprehensive range of services to a local, national, and international client base. JonesWalker.com. And by the East Baton Rouge Parish School System, inspiring humanity through transformational learning in the classroom and community. Initiatives like Pathways to Bright Futures allow students to graduate high school with an associate degree or an industry-based credential along with their high school diploma. More information at ebrschools.org. And by Shorten Associates, legal recruiters in Louisiana and Texas. From Mansur's on the Boulevard, we're out to lunch with Stephanie Regal. It's business, Baton Rouge style. Hi, I'm Stephanie Regal. Welcome to Out to Lunch. We know South Louisiana is famous for its good food and festivals, vibrant petrochem sector, and thriving hospitality industry. Many of us may not realize that Louisiana leads the way in certain healthcare specialties, and not just the diabetes and obesity research that goes on at the Pennington Biomedical Research Center, which we've featured on this show before, but some really innovative care for, in some cases, very rare diseases. With me today to discuss this is Kevin Tracy, director of the National Hansen's Disease Program, which is based right here in Baton Rouge and is the epicenter of Hansen's disease research and information in the United States. Hansen's disease is better known as leprosy, and though it's not the biblical plague it once was, it still exists around the world today. Fortunately, a lot more is known about it than back in biblical times or even in the late 1800s when South Louisiana was home to one of the country's foremost leprosy hospitals in Carville. Today, that center remains open only as a museum, but the Hansen's Disease Center is alive and well here in Baton Rouge. Kevin has been CEO of the center since September of 2019. Prior to that, he worked for the federal government's Center for Medicare and Medicaid Services for nearly a decade. He has a degree in nursing and a graduate degree in accounting with a focus on healthcare administration. Kevin, it's a pleasure to meet you and have you here with us today on Out to Lunch. Thank you, Stephanie. It's a pleasure to be here. Joining me and Kevin is Dr. Jonas Fontenot, Chief Operating Officer of the Mary Bird Perkins Cancer Center, a comprehensive cancer center in Baton Rouge that celebrated its 50th anniversary in 2021 and recently announced some new partnerships that are reshaping the local cancer care market. Mary Bird Perkins started out as a radiation treatment center, the first in Baton Rouge, and has since expanded to provide a range of service to thousands of patients across the region. Jonas is an expert in medical physics, holding a master's and a PhD in medical science. In addition to helping lead Mary Bird Perkins, he continues to teach and do research and has been the recipient of more than $4 million in research grants to support his work around cutting edge radiation treatments. And as impressive as his resume is, probably his greatest claim to fame in Baton Rouge is that he helped care for Mike the Tiger number six when the big cat mascot was diagnosed with a rare cancer several years ago. Jonas, it's a pleasure to have you here with us on Out to Lunch. Thank you, Stephanie. Pleasure to be here. Well, Kevin, let, let me go back for a minute to you, but how did the center end up here in Baton Rouge? And is it because of Carville? I mean, how did Carville even end up, you know, being the center it was? Right. So um, Carville was the history of the program, obviously. Uh, the original patients that arrived there in 1894, and then the federal government took it over in 1921. So um, it had downsized after the cure was found. It started downsizing throughout the years and, um, and many, many times have been you know, 
on the verge of being shuttered. Wow. And so in the late 1990s, um, an individual in Congress by the name of Baker uh, created this Baker bill, basically shutting down Carville, which was public health uh, service hospital number 66, <laughs> and moved the program to Baton Rouge. Okay. That was in 99. Which was his district, Richard Baker. But leprosy still exists today, but only very rarely, and it's treatable. Yes. Um, so in the 1940s, the original um, cure was found, uh, simple antibiotics that work, and uh, very treatable today. Uh, only about 95% of the population, 95% uh, of the population is immune to it, wow. and only about 5% susceptible. It's a much bigger problem uh, in some of your hotbeds throughout the world. Uh, the United States is not one of those hotbeds. We only have about 175 cases per year. Interesting. But I bet you all do so much cool research there, and I, I want to follow up with you about that. But a disease that a lot more people are familiar with and unfortunately suffer from is cancer. We have so much of it here in Louisiana. And, and Jonas, tell us a little bit about the scope of services at Mary Bird Perkins. It's expanded way beyond just the radiation treatment that it was originally founded for 50 it, years ago. It has. And, you know, kind of the founding principle of the organization in general um, was to fill gaps in areas of need that cancer patients in our community needed ready access to. And initially that was radiation therapy, but over the decades, over the 50 plus years of the organization at this point, has um, evolved into other types of, of services as well. So we kind of run the gambit from um, uh, early detection, uh, community education, diagnosis, treatment, and into survivorship and beyond. Wow. And, and then you partner with other providers, whether that's hospitals, whether that's doctors, and they do chemotherapy there, all sorts of different types of therapies, and it, it helps provide for a whole comprehensive level of service and That's care. right. I mean, the, the <clears throat> when a patient's diagnosed with cancer, uh, they're going to need access to a constellation of services, and the availability of those services may be different depending on the community that you're in. So our role over the years has really tried to be complementary to the other strengths that a community already possesses in the way of cancer care. So along the way, we fill the gaps, and as a consequence of that, the shape that we take in terms of the specific programs and services that we offer is going to look a little bit different from one community to the next, just based on other strengths that are there and the partnerships that we can forge to help bring together kind of a comprehensive framework with partners to offer to patients. How many patients do you all have? like, I guess, currently active? I don't know, whatever metric you use. Sure. So on an, on an annual basis, we take care of about 3,500 newly diagnosed cancer wow. patients a year. And that's through the geographic region across our seven locations in southeastern Louisiana and southwestern Mississippi. Okay. Now, Kevin, bring us back and tell us a little bit about if, if leprosy is under control, you know, to the extent that it is, what kind of research are y'all doing? Y'all doing research to help those people in other countries where maybe it's not, it's not so well understood and, and, and treated or? Right, so um, we are the only source, known source in the world that raises the bacteria. Um, so you're actually growing the leprosy bacteria? We're growing the leprosy bacteria. Right, right there off of Essen? Sort of. Well, not, yeah, it's actually, our research branch is located on the LSU campus, actually. Oh, wow. Yeah, okay. In the, in the School of Veterinary Medicine. Um, and so, you know, we found out a direct link 
um, that armadillos that are quite populous in, mm-hmm. in the South are um, carriers of the same genetic link to leprosy. So we believe that there is a human um, vector there, you know, to, to pass the disease. And um, so that's what we do. Over there, as far as research is concerned, um, we have tried to come up with uh, different types of treatments, maybe vaccines that can be used in conjunction with the multi-drug therapy that we use. And um, that's pretty much our, our research ring. That is so fascinating. And, and I've heard about the connection with the armadillos. And y'all, you're saying that it was, it was researchers through the Hansen Center at LSU that discovered that connection. That's correct. Yeah, in 2011. That recently? Yes. Yep. Wow. We found out that, there, that, that the same type that's in humans uh, also is carried in armadillos. Does yes. that mean that it's dangerous to touch armadillos? Not that you would want to, but if you did, say. <laughs> yeah, I, I, I would say no, because for the same reason that, um, you know, it, it's so hard to contract the disease mm-hmm. then. Um, but, of course, I wouldn't go and... Uh, play with them and, and do those types of things. But, you know, if they're in their yard, which everybody in Louisiana seems to have them, um, no, they're not really a threat. So interesting. How many scientists do y'all have working at your center or through your center? Right. So we have three uh, primary researches and we have the geneticists and then uh, the biological lab techs that support them uh, as well as their administrators over okay. there. Yep. Okay. Jonas, Tell, tell us a little bit about what's going on, why we keep seeing Mary Bird Perkins Cancer Center in the news so much, you know, lately, the latter half of 2020, I mean, 2021 and early into 2022. Y'all have, have come up with some new partnerships and are exploring new, new ways of providing care in the market. What does it mean for the patients in Baton Rouge and South Louisiana and beyond? Yeah, uh, there's been a lot of changes in, in the second part of last year and now heading into into 2022. And <clears throat> I think if, if I were to try to draw kind of a constant theme through all the changes that are uh, that are occurring, they're focused around improving access. We think we have great doctors. We think we have fantastic technology. We think we have provide access to cancer patients to resources that are unique within the communities that we serve. And our partnerships are focused on leveraging our technologies, our capabilities with what other partners can bring to the table and providing as many pathways to access our doctors and our programs as we can possibly provide to patients and their caregivers. Mm -hmm. So, I mean, the news in 2021 was that Mary Bird was ending its affiliation with the lake, Our Lady of the Lake, and was affiliating with an independent group of oncologists and now has a relationship with Baton Rouge General. As a patient, what does that mean, really? I mean, would you feel a difference if you're a patient? Does it mean you can't go to the lake anymore, for instance, or is your treatment going to change? A- absolutely not. I mean, I, I, <clears throat> I think if, if, if I were um, in, interpreting this from the outside, looking in, and it can be complicated to, to interpret, um, what I would take away from it is that there are more and more resources being poured into cancer care. That's good for everybody. Um, you know, our, our mission is to improve, or, improve survivorship and lessen the burden for cancer patients. That's not Mary Bird patients. That's cancer patients in every community that we serve and, and, and represent. So I think the net sum of what patients will feel as a consequence of all of these various changes 
is more options to choose from, more resources to take advantage of. And my hope, as we have in the past demonstrated within the organization of our ability to be the first to deliver things to the marketplace related to cancer care, is that we'll continue to lead that effort in the communities that we're in and bring all the collective resources that exist around cancer care to bear for the benefit of patients. Mm -hmm. Whether that's with Mary Bird or, or other cancer care providers who we may not be technically affiliated with, but are still actively collaborating with when it comes to patients that we share. It's certainly a um, big business, you know, and there's so much money in it, um, but there's so many p patients. You know, how, how are we doing in the battle against cancer? I mean, are things better? Are survivorship rates improving? I mean, I'm sure we know a lot more than we used to, but it seems like everybody knows getting diagnosed with cancer, you know? It's, it's an interesting situation to be in because we've come a very long way since the war on cancer was declared by President Nixon in 1971. Um, uh, rates of survivorship have improved incredibly as technology has evolved, as our understanding of cancer as a disease process has evolved, but still now it almost feels like we're just scratching the surface as to what the real capabilities are when we get into areas like the role of genetics in cancer care, how we can manipulate and take advantage of those genetic factors in ways that allow us to combat cancer better than we can today. So I think it's a really exciting time to, to once you step back and have some perspective that, yes, we've made these tremendous strides, but there's a whole frontier of things that I think we're gonna be able to benefit from that will result in meaningful improvements to outcomes for patients as we move forward into the future. You're listening to Out to Lunch. I'm Stephanie Regal. I'm talking to Dr. Jonas Fontenot of the Mary Bird Perkins Cancer Center and Kevin Tracy of the National Hansen's Disease Program. Kevin, I wanted to ask you about Carville because I remember visiting there and that's what a lot of people think of, the leper colony down on River Road in Carville. It's, it actually was a place in the 1800s, as you mentioned, where patients stayed and lived, and it was closed in... 1999. Um, when we moved the program to Baton Rouge in 1999, um, they still... It was handed over at that point to the Louisiana Military Department. Were there still patients there at There that were time? still some more independent patients were still allowed to stay there because that was home to them. Mm -hmm. You know, even after the cure was found and the... Um, the ban that you couldn't go out into society was lifted, those patients, many of them, that's all they ever knew. So they continued to stay there. In 1999, when the program was moved to Baton Rouge, uh, the permanent patients were given a choice, if you will, and that is that they could either go back out into society and the federal government would pay them a stipend to help them survive each year, or they could stay on with our center. Um, so the ones that were independent were allowed to stay in Carville for a few more years, and the ones that were not independent that needed bedside care, um, we contracted. We came to Ochsner campus first on O'Neill. It wasn't called Ochsner back then. Uh, I think it was Summit. Um, and so we had an inpatient ward there for them. Um, when I came on five years ago, there were still nine of those permanent patients left an inpatient and now we have one um, as far as stipend patients are concerned I don't know what the original number was in 1999 we have about seven of them left but the facility at Carmel is now a museum and it tells the story of this disease and I guess the, the real 
the real point that the reason this disease is so you know known in the imagination mm -hmm. is because people were banned yes. from being out in society, which yes. is just so incredible when you think about it. Yeah, and and unfortunately, you know, it's kind of a sad history. It's it's a fascinating history, and and I encourage everybody to go down to the museum when it opens back up to the public. <laughs> um, but you know, we're having to take the cues because of COVID. Um, we're not sure when that's going to occur. Um, but it is kind of a sad history because when people were subjected to go to Carville for the rest of their life, um, many times their names were changed um, because if they found out that they were going there, their families were subjected to having their, their yes, the huge stigma. Mm -hmm. And their homes were destroyed or burned and, and you know, other things. And so. that was even going on in the 20th century. Yes. Wow. Yes. That's incredible. Yep. Jonas, tell us a little bit about your research, because you are, in addition to everything else you do, you're also a real expert in a certain field of radiation technology, and and what what is your specialty with respect to cancer care? Yeah, so my, <clears throat> my specific background and training and expertise is in medical radiation physics. So... Um, I'm a technology geek um, by every by every term of the definition. Uh, that's what my research is most heavily focused in is on the technology component that facilitates better ways for us to take advantage of the technologies that we have now for the benefit of patients as well as the implementation and development of new technologies. Um, we're really excited about an announcement that we made late last year related to a new technology called adaptive radiation therapy. Mm -hmm. uh, it's made possible by uh, support from the community, our foundation, our board of directors, uh, Mr. Atfav and, and his family made an incredible um, uh, gift to make this technology possible. But um, this technology, like if you can boil it down, what does it do for, you know, in terms of radiation treatment? It lets us, um, adapt each day to the disease and the anatomy of the patient as they're on the table. So wow. historically, what we have been constrained by is the limited set of imaging and images that allow us to see the disease and see where normal tissues are and place radiation where it's supposed to go and avoid areas that, that, uh, that, that we need to spare during treatment. Um, what adaptive therapy allows us to do is take a much closer look each and every day when the patient shows up as they're lying on the table, wow. which is not something that we've had the capability to be able to do in the past. So talking about new frontiers, yeah. this is a whole new frontier of uh, treatment capabilities that we're going to be implementing um, into, into our clinic and making available to our community. And we think it's really going to be able to move the needle on some of the more difficult to treat cancers that um, we have experienced, you know, fewer comparative improvements and outcomes for, you know, certain types of lung cancer, certain types of GI cancers, mm -hmm. which are much more difficult to treat, we think are going to be prime opportunities for adaptive therapy to help us move the needle on. That's great. So you're just much, much more precise about where you're zapping. Exactly. Kind of That's right. That's great. Do y'all think Louisiana gets the recognition it deserves for healthcare, healthcare research? Uh, Maybe, maybe it does. I don't know. I, you know, <clears throat> it's a it's a difficult. At least in cancer care, right? You're 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 always going to be measured against the the premier academic uh, uh, cancer centers 
of the world. I mean, there's one, you know, MD four Anderson, and a half hours right? to the west of here in Houston, Houston at MD Anderson. There's Memorial Sloan Kettering, um, uh, uh, among others. But I think, I think what <clears throat> what gets missed is that the vast majority, greater than 80% of cancer care that's delivered in the United States, is not delivered in premier academic centers. They're right. delivered in the community setting, and to have a resource, a collection of investments that this state, this community has made in cancer care that's available to people close to home, I think does get overlooked. And if you look under the hood at the caliber of people that we've been able to attract, to be doctors in our programs, to come and help support our patient care programs, you will find that those providers have come from MD Anderson, they've come from Memorial Sloan Kettering, they've come from Harvard, Mm -hmm. and they're here, they're in Baton Rouge, they're in South Louisiana, practicing medicine within the oncology programs that are available to patients. That's good to hear. Kevin, are y'all attracting researchers, say, from all around the country who come here because this is the place to study Hansen's disease? I would say no to that. However, because we do send out the bacillus to researchers throughout the world, Mm -hmm. um, then we do kind of have that connection. But no, um, our research branch... um, the individuals that are there and actually all the individuals that work for the program have a huge long history in this program. We actually have one individual that's been with us for 50 years. That's great. Um, so um, we don't have a lot of turnover. It's one of the only government jobs in Baton Rouge, <laughs> um, you know, outside of the VA and maybe some others. So I think once people get on, then they, they stay there. And it's, it's you know, kind of a really yeah. close-knit community. So. And, and, of course, when we talk about health care, you know, spiraling costs is, is something that, you know, is a thread that, that runs through whatever the specialty is. You know, like, for instance, with cancer care, Jonas, how do we keep a lid on, on costs? That's a great question. So, you know, whenever you're at the frontier of anything, it usually means that you're on the leading edge of the capabilities of technology and our scientific understanding of whatever that thing is. And that inevitably costs money. And so, um, you know, you, you have seen uh, among the changes that we've made as an organization at Mary Bird over the last several months, this partnership that we announced with One Oncology, one of the key reasons to create that affiliation with One Oncology is to allow us to negotiate drug prices with hundreds of other providers who are on the same platform directly with pharma. Um, you know, there's, there's strength in buying power, and, and so our ability to negotiate better drug prices is going to make care more affordable and has been a focus um, of, of one of the strengths and advantages we see coming out of this partnership. But, I'm, you know, the, to address the question of spiraling health care costs in, in a more agnostic sense, it's a really difficult um, uh, conversations to have conversation to have because it involves pu- public policy, right. it involves investments by you know the federal government, and it, it involves local investments. So I think every community, every center has to strike its own balance in figuring out where the right threshold is for them. Um, we've been fortunate to have support from our our board of directors and the communities that we're in that we get a lot of help with our investments in technologies and programs that we make we make available but i you know if you're asking me uh, i foresee <laughs> an end in the near future no, of escalating health care costs i, I think that's going to be a challenge as we as we move forward and kevin i would imagine the drugs to treat leprosy are very very expensive for those few people who do contract it for whatever reason 
Um, actually, that's not entirely true because okay. the, the, the multi-drug therapy that we primarily use, these are old antibiotics that have been around for, for many years. Um, there is one drug, however, that we use called clofazamine. Um, Novartis is the drug company that produces it. Uh, we still have the investigational new drug license for it. It is slated to go on the retail market here this year. Uh, but we've been using it for years as one of um, one of our treatments, and uh, we get that free from Novartis, and they also ship it all over the world um, through the WHO affiliations that they have uh, to treat to help treat leprosy. Now, sometimes when you start treating the drug or start treating the patient, they have what's called a reaction, and um, those reactions have to be um, treated with thalidomide of all things Ooh. so if you remember thalidomide sure. back in the 60s and all the birth defects that it caused and and things of that nature it's actually very effective against um, reactions in leprosy that drug is extremely expensive yes so but we don't typically we don't typically provide those types of expensive drugs mm -hmm. throughout the nation what we provide is the multi-drug therapy but y'all are helping patients all over the united states that's correct and, beyond. and, and their territories Jonas, I mean, when we talk about this this new deal with with Mary Bird Perkins and, and Baton Rouge General and one oncology, I mean that means basically that no oncologists affiliated with the lake are doing providing services at Mary Bird, even though Mary Bird's building is on the lake's campus. That is true, and and so that 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 is a relationship that has changed, um, in within the last you know six six months, um, but it it. It's a bit of a misnomer because it still is the case that um, oncologists and specialists associated with the lake are caring for patients who are also patients at Mary Bird Perkins Cancer Center. Mm -hmm. So um, uh, I, I guess one point of nuance to draw is that while the, some of the business relationships have changed, um, I think there is still a large degree of collaboration and cooperation going on at the level of patient care. Yeah. I mean, ultimately, doctors um, want to provide the best quality care to their patients, and they're going to send their patients to the best doctors and to the best um, places where they have the best technology so that they can get the best outcome for their patient. Mm -hmm. And that, I think, is pretty invariant of, of the business relationships, at least within much of the ecosystem of healthcare that we live in today. I think the thing that makes it so comp it's so complex and most people really have no idea most people talking about patients who's really paying the bill or who, who their insurance company's paying the bill but they don't even know who it's going to that's right a third party group or some other group or they don't know if it's the hospital the doctor you know it's which is maybe part of the problem if people really knew who they were paying and how much it was <laughs> It's very complicated, and, and Congress has, has taken steps to, pro, to bring transparency into pricing um, over the last several years, but even that effort, I think, has become a lot more complicated than I think we would all agree that it ideally should be. Fantastic. Well, Kevin Tracy and Jonas Fontenot, you both do so much in the field of healthcare and public health to help those who are suffering from diseases and also to help educate our communities about diseases. So thank you so much for all that you do and for taking time out of your busy schedules to join me today on Out to Lunch. Thank you. My pleasure. Thank you very much. My guests today on Out to Lunch have been Kevin Tracy of the National Hansen's Disease Program and Dr. Jonas Fontenot of the Mary Bird Perkins Cancer Center. 
You can find out more about the National Hansen's Disease Program and the Mary Bird Perkins Cancer Center by listening to the Out to Lunch Baton Rouge podcast. You can find and subscribe to the Out to Lunch Baton Rouge podcast anywhere you get podcasts and on our website, it's batonrouge.la. If you want to know what we all look like, you can find photos from this show on itsbatonrouge.la and on our Out to Lunch Baton Rouge social media. Photos are taken by Eric Otts. You can find more of Eric's photos on Instagram at at acro, that's A-C-R-E-A-U-X. Out to Lunch is a production of INO Broadcasting for itsbatonrouge.la and WRKF 89.3 FM. The producer of our show is Grant Morris. Our technical producer is Eric Merle. Today's show was engineered by J.T. O'Neill. Our associate producer is Peter Raschuti, and our Baton Rouge business consultants are Charlie D'Agostino and Ann Edelman. I'm Stephanie Regal. Thanks for joining me. I look forward to meeting you around the table at Mansour's again next week for more business Baton Rouge style on Out to Lunch. Out to Lunch Baton Rouge is recorded live over lunch at Mansour's on the Boulevard in Baton Rouge. Mansur's is open for lunch daily, 11 to 2, for dinner nightly, and for brunch on Saturdays and Sundays. Major support for Out to Lunch is provided by the law firm of Jones Walker, established in 1937 with over 375 attorneys in offices throughout the U.S., providing a comprehensive range of services to a local, national, and international client base. JonesWalker.com and by the East Baton Rouge Parish School System, inspiring humanity through transformational learning in the classroom and community. Initiatives like Pathways to Bright Futures allow students to graduate high school with an associate degree or an industry-based credential along with their high school diploma. More information at ebrschools.org. And by Shorten Associates, legal recruiters in Louisiana and Texas. Mitchell Foreman wrote and performs all the music on Out to Lunch. You can hear Mitchell's music anywhere great jazz is sold or streamed and at MitchellForeman.com. 